Welcome to Open Studio, Conversations on Art, brought to you by Grays and Mallet Art Solutions. I'm your co-host, Denise Mallet. In this podcast, my partner, Leslie Graves, and I explore the amazing world of visual arts through the lens of art lovers just like you. By sharing extraordinary stories, conversations, and interviews with artists, collectors, gallery owners, curators, and more, all of whom have embraced the visual arts by changing lives to establishing legacies, as well as building world-renowned collections. Today on Open Studio, we sit down and have a conversation with Dr. George Nanamdi at the Nanamdi Art Center in Detroit, Michigan. George has been a giant in the industry for nearly four decades. His visionary approach to gallery ownership and developing concepts of creative placemaking and community placekeeping has given him recognition all over the world. But what he is legendary for is having the ability to catapult artists from a newcomer to national phenomenon. What an amazing interview we have in store when we return. Well, hello, welcome back to Open Studio Conversations on Art. You're with Denise and Leslie again, and we have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with, I call the world-renowned probably collector, gallery owner, art extraordinaire, uh, George Nanambi today. And uh, as usual, we, we want to get our, we're going to get Leslie to start us off with a couple of fun facts and some questions. And this is probably one of the interviews that I've been so excited about us having. So uh, we get a chance to, sh- to share uh, some of the wisdom that we have with, uh, with uh, Mr. Nanamdi. Okay, well, George, good afternoon. So glad to see you and happy to be in the Windown Bar, which is located in the rear of your gallery. So, George, I understand that you um, are really an Ohio native living in Michigan, and what I found very interesting is you attended the Ohio State University for undergraduate, but got a doctorate from University of Michigan. So what happens at your house during football season? I'm a a University of Michigan fan. Yeah, good answer. I understand your favorite food is salmon. Yes. Your favorite colors are green and purple. Very true. And that you came by business because you're an entrepreneur. Probably genetically, as your mother owned three hair salons in Ohio. Yes, yes, that's all true. Well, yes. She always does great research with her fun facts. I even learned some new stuff, so. <laughs> and, and I just want to start off. Um, I know everyone knows you in Michigan, probably uh, throughout the land, but we're in the GR and Gallery and Art Center. So you're more than a gallery. So if you could just start out talking about uh, the mission of the NIMD Center for Contemporary Art. Well, first I'd like to say uh, it's an honor to be here with you, Leslie and Denise, and thank you for choosing the NIMD Center and myself to be part of your podcast program. Thank you. Um, the NIMD Center, well, of course, you know, we are located in Birmingham. We moved, we started in Detroit, and then we moved to Birmingham and we were there for 13 years. And then I always had this yearning to be into the city. 
And when we first moved to Birmingham, it, I thought it was very important to do that because in the late 80s, Birmingham was the center for art, art galleries. It had almost 40 galleries in, in the little mm-hmm. city of Birmingham. So I thought it was very important to do that. And so in moving the gallery there, it was, it, it, it was a challenge, but it was a challenge that also helped the gallery expand and develop into a more of a national and international gallery. Uh, then upon deciding to come to Detroit, or come back to Detroit, I should say, after we acquired this, acquired this property, we, we found ourselves, this is like pre the hip, everybody moving into Midtown. Mm-hmm. And at that time they were saying, you're crazy be leaving Birmingham. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that, but I'm crazy going in. like a fox. Yeah. <laughs> I was crazy to go in Birmingham, then they said I was crazy <laughs> coming out, right? Yeah. Uh, so what, what happened was that I developed the space, and I really, it's about 8,000 square foot space, and I really had developed it for mm-hmm. two to split between a gallery and have another entity on the other side, you know, like where we are now with the black box and the wine bar that was its own separate, uh, sort of the own separate entity, right? But at that time, I was like, no one's gonna come lease this side space. I just couldn't imagine, you know, because again, it's almost twenty years ago, and so they, uh, so I decided to, oh, let's, I'm make it an art center, and if I make it the art center, then we would do all the different. The difference is we have a lot of programming now, you know. Not only do we have the, the Siva, the vegetarian vegan restaurant. We got the Griot Listening Lounge where they only play vinyl music. Mm. We have a movement center where we have multiple di- different types of dance classes. Then we have the exhibiting, now the exhibiting space. We have the black box for performances. And then we have the wine bar just to, and it's called the wine down. Mm-hmm. So, so, we, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, is that we, uh, we thought it's like it's it's just good to make these things, uh, put them all together, and it also gives you a chance to, if you're gonna have a legacy, you can leave it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If I just had a gallery, it, it could just go away. But we have art center. You know, you have other opportunities Absolutely. to continue it. Uh, so that's why we kind of changed from an art center to from our gallery to an art center. So George, for those. Uh, individuals that are listening that haven't been to the space if you could just tell another fun fact what was this building originally well i know the <laughs> it was built for auto dealership mm. but when we took it over the major building was a collision shop and so when people see it they see these floors that we had these all these wooden floors and they, they can't believe that it was uh, a collision shop. Well, these floors are repurposed wood. Mm-hmm. It took us almost six months to get them installed wow. because no one would have this much wood. You had to wait till they find a building or something to get the wood, you know, okay? It's beautiful. And uh, then the building next door where the Seva is and the Griot in the movement center, uh, that was a daycare that had been defunct about 25, 30 years. And then on the walkway had all this rusted out playground equipment. Wow. 
And so we were very kind of fortunate uh, even to get, get the building because we had looked for three to four years, you know, uh, for a space. And this building had a sign in the middle of the building in the back, rusted out, had said available on it in a phone number. And I was just looking one day and saw that sign. I said, I'm going to call that sign. I'll call that number. <laughs> and when I called the number, he answered, he said, where did you get this number? I said, it's on your building. He said, that bad sign been there 10 years. You're the first person to call oh, from that sign. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. 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 You know, so well, look we, at it today. Yeah. It's gorgeous. So yeah, that's so that's what it is. So we started from the from a collision shop in the Punk Daycare Center to what we have here now. The exterior architecture is beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. I mean the yeah. interior speaks yeah. for itself. Yes. But it just knows that you kept the exterior. Yes, yeah. It, it is a historic we got this area designated uh it's a historical area. It's a uh, historical Sugar Hill Arts District. Mm. And it's designated on the federal, state, that's and local level. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly you're a visionary. I mean, you've been a part of, you know, this, you know, for decades, you know, the, the, the end scene, the, you know, the future scene, um, and, and been an influencer in the, in the world of art, not just here in Detroit, but again, as Leslie said, around the country. Um, what do you think about Detroit right now in this moment? Um, when you when you think about, uh, you know, one of our interviewees said, you know, art has already Detroit has always had a soul for art, uh, and another interviewee said, well, sometimes it's the timing of media. Uh, what do you, how are you feeling about this moment in time? Because you've watched these waves come and go. Um, is this a wave? Are we here? Is the moment? I don't want to leave. Well. You. Uh, this time in art, I have I take a little different perspective. Um, I'm, this is not his words. This is the person who uses this. Used to use this a lot, Reverend Sampson. Mm -hmm. He said, "This is the best of times, and this could be the worst of times." Remember, mm -hmm. he would always yes, use yes, that. Yes, right? yes, yes. So, I'm, I'm going to use that. Mm -hmm. It's the best of time because the artists are getting a lot of attention. But I think part of the drawback for me is that, like the philanthropic community, the nonprofit, you know, the DIA, all the, they're doing a lot for the artists. But at the same time, they're not creating or not assisting in creating uh, infrastructure for artists to really survive, sustain. Mm -hmm. Okay, and you do that through the gallery system. So when you think about art cities, mm -hmm. they always have this vibrant gallery system. You know, you think of Miami, you think of New York, mm -hmm. Chicago, they have a lot, they have gallery districts. Mm -hmm. And now that's part of what I'm, my charge is now to do, also to help create more uh, uh, space for people to have galleries. But I think that's really very, very important because, you know, artists can get a grant, yes, they, they're happy about having that grant, but if you got a $25,000 grant, a week later, you got $23,000 because you're gonna spend 2,000 just right off the bat. 
Mm-hmm. That's what most people do. Yes. Right? They're yeah. going to spend yeah. something. You yeah, know, yeah. I got some money. I ain't had no money. I'm going <laughs> to spend this money, right? I'm going to buy something, even uh-huh. like get me a haircut now. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the, so what I'm saying that say, but it's like you have to have something that where artists could sell their work. And you can't keep thinking artists can sell their own work. That is not, that it, galleries are, or galleries are not the middle people. They are an integral part of the process. It's not, they're not middlemen. Mm-hmm. Okay. They are the market. Got it. Okay. They are the market, you know, uh, because without them, it's too many artists out here, say for the museums or the historians to go around researching. Mm-hmm. So you rely upon the galleries to do that type of research. Absolutely. You see, yes. then then the museums tip, tr- traditionally would go to the different galleries to find these artists. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how where it's very important to have a gallery district. Also, when people come to town, if you had a gallery district, they then. They know to go there, and they go there with the idea they're going to spend money. Mm-hmm. They're going to acquire something. Detroit is heading towards where people come to look at art. Mm-hmm. See, it's a difference. You know, uh, give you an example. D.C. years ago was a place that didn't sell much art mm-hmm. because everything was free. You go to all the art museums, so you're not you're not going there to acquire look at anybody's art. You're like, let's go to D.C. Then we're gonna go up to New York and buy something. Mm-hmm. You know, go to Chicago. You, that's what I'm saying. Is that you know we need to have that. I just read an article uh, where they were writing about Howard Dina Pendale, and here Howard Dina Pendale is in her uh, late seventies, majorly accomplished artist major, you know. And they talking they were praising her that she got this twenty five thousand dollar award. Now this see on the East Coast that twenty five thousand dollars is considered huge. Okay. Okay. And an artist with with a lot of accomplishments has gotten this. Mm-hmm. And they are praising this. Mm-hmm. I'm saying here artists young artists are getting it without a track record. Interesting. You, you, you see what I'm saying? It's not like, it's, it's not, I'm not anti doing it, but without that infrastructure to do something, that, that's, that's going to be, that, that's what makes it hard. Yeah. So tell us about your plans and your participation in creating this art center. Okay, well, this one here, uh, like I said, it's it just because I had the space and I had to figure out what to do with it. Uh, but our part of the plan now is that we're working on some projects on Grand River, mm. that uh, near Martin Luther King, between uh, and like Rosa Parks, I yes. say. And and uh, what we're what we're doing there, one 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 building we're we're building a uh, uh, well, I want to describe it. It'll be a space for multiple galleries. Mm-hmm. But it's a space for if an uh, individual wanted a gallery. It's, it's almost like it's, it's you own your space. It's your gallery space. But we have one general management or salesperson for every, five galleries. You see what I'm saying? And uh, that way, if a, if a person wants to have a gallery, like say for $2,000 a month, 
they would have the space. They would have no utilities. They would not have, that would be their rent, utilities, um, staffing, yes. you know. And, but also, it also would be the support because we would be mailing out, you know, that this is happening, that happening, you know. So if you had a gallery, you would not even have to come in there. I would always say the owners should come in, particularly on the weekend, like a Saturday, Sunday, mm -hmm. you should be there. But by and large, you wouldn't have to be there except to install your work, take down your work, and then you have one expense. That's like $2,000. And, you know, that's nominal. You know, sometimes people hear 2000 a that's a lot. But no, but if you rented a space, that's right. you, you rent a space, you got 750 for your space, then you got your electrical, mm -hmm. you got your heat, mm -hmm. you know, then you got your staffing. Then you're going to end up being, you won't be open that much. Mm -hmm. You know, you you right. you know you you you're like I can't make it over there now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been there. I had a, <laughs> a I had a little cafe Martinique down in the Dave Whitney building, and I like oh, I, I, I can't, yeah, I, like, I can't get there to make sandwiches. Ooh. You know, uh, you know, uh, you you see them saying that's so. Right. Yeah. So we're, that's what we're trying to do with that, and yeah. uh, we've gotten support through um, the Knight Foundation with that. Wonderful. Uh, patronicity and. Uh, we're in line to uh, get something with Motor City Match, which we had been awarded, but we didn't operate fast. We didn't. We couldn't execute fast enough. When but, do you uh, see this coming into fruition? Oh, in two thousand. What the? What's what year? Nineteen. Yeah, we're in nineteen. Two twenty. Yeah, twenty. Mm -hmm. We should. We would like to have the galleries. One. Well, two projects we have on Grand River. One, the gallery project. We hope to have that done by uh, third quarter of 20, you know, the beginning of third quarter, like beginning of the summer. Uh, then we also have a 30 unit apartment building that we're gonna have Fantastic. over there. Fantastic. And we're gonna have a, like a coffee shop on the first floor, we have a coffee shop and, excuse me, a coffee shop in a gallery in that building too, which oh. is, you know, so that's that. Uh, we hope to be in the ground by the, either this this December or April. So right now, we're going to take a quick. We're going to take a pause and be right back with our interview with um, George. So welcome back to our listeners with uh, Open Studio, and we're here with George Nanamdi, and we are. Listen, I have like a question that's just wearing on me with the importance of you know galleries and you've just articulated the importance of that and that's a part of the entire art process of selling art um how do you feel about the role of social media and you know the, has it helped galleries or kind of given this false security to artists that they can promote on their own i mean i'm just trying to get a feel of the role that social media has um, you know kind of descended on the art world from your perspective well I think social media is very very important uh, in the art world I think it does make people uh, it, it, it exposes people to a broader community but sometimes that that exposure uh, does not necessarily translate immediately into sales or the value of your work because a lot of people can do social media, but see, that's where I say with the galleries, those people are critiquing the art, meaning that 
they have a filter that the art has now gone through. And so people learn to trust that eye, you know, mm -hmm. for it, you know. So ultimately, yes, people can sell on uh, social media, but usually you're not getting the biggest bucks on social media. Because mm -hmm. see, a gallery works for the artists, mm -hmm. you know, it's, that's very, very important to know. Is like they're working for the artist. They're helping the artist build up a career. Like we have taken on the artists just recently. We have a few Detroit artists, but one of our most recent artists, we have uh, uh, Tylon Sawyer. Yes. Okay, and so with Tylon Sawyer, we think he's a you know great artist, and he has so much potential. Mm -hmm. So we end up working for him. We make sure he gets in shows. We make sure he gets into collections, yes. you know. So that's so that's what you you you're doing, just to have your thing that you got a web page, and you know, yeah. you 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 don't create the value the same, you know. Mm -hmm. It's like yes, it, it, I, I like to kind of equate it to like the music industry. It's always that one or two people this goes off the chart. And yeah. They did something on social media, but that's like three percent or less. Right. And that's how it is with the visual arts also. Yes, you, it, yes there may be a couple people that's getting, but most people are not. Mm -hmm. In the arts period, you look at music, you look at acting, you know, you, all of them, the visual arts, most people are, are not getting that. And you gotta realize that, you know. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you find that artist? I mean, I, I can imagine you've found a few gems and become superstars, and you've made some superstars. You know, what do you look? Is it the work? Is it the moment in time? Is it the twinkle in their eye? You know, how it's do you all know you the, got it's it? It's all the above. Okay? okay, what you just said. It is the work, but I, um, I'm also tend to look at. I look and see: Are you going to be here twenty years from now? Mm -hmm. It's not like oh, you got a great piece. But I'm looking at you like, okay, you're 30. Are you gonna be doing this at 50? Mm -hmm. Or are you gonna be, if I gave you a job, would you quit making art because you have a high paying job? Mm -hmm. You said you need, like the people that we grew up with as a gallery, you know, they may have taught, but very few of them had a job that really took them away from their practice. Mm -hmm. And, um, so you, you just couldn't do that. So some, a lot of them taught college, but you know, which has certain re, relaxing way of working anyway. Uh, but a lot of them just would be artists in residence. So they go in for a semester, but they wouldn't take on all the committees and all that, yeah, that, sure. that, that administrative stuff doing yes. work. But so I look at that as the thing. If you can, you know, uh, if you can do if you can stick to your work, if I can, if I can say, hey, I got you a hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty thousand dollar job, but you can't make art. If you can do that, then you're not for me. I you see a, what I'm saying? I, yeah. No, I, I mean, absolutely. Because then, because you always have to remember where you stop is where you start back up. Mm. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like taking music. Mm -hmm. If you stop playing, you can't. You, you really can't even get back to where you That's stopped. Definitely. You got to go back further to go back to get where you are. Yes. You see what I'm saying? So your skills always keep developing. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so you always try to look to certain things in the personality that you kind of look for. You know, are you doing this for the hype? You know, then also you want to see what I look and say, well, what are you contributing to art? Yes. You know, I mean, like the artists we first started out with uh, in 1981, okay, uh, these artists are your major blue chip, black chip artists now, today. Right. I mean, we had Jack Whitten, Ed Clark, Al Loving, Howard Dina Pendale, yes. you know, MacArthur Benyard. We had all these artists, like in our first exhibition, and it was just, it was huge. Now, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing or what I had at the time. Yes. I mean, I mean, just about six or six years ago, I offered a museum, like 30, 40 pieces, five, for $5 million. Mm. Okay. Today, I mean, it's something about six, seven years yes, ago. Yes, yes. Today, three artists are 10 million. Wow. One artist, one piece would be like, one artist would be like three, like about two or three artists where it'd be like $3 million worth, you know. But that's just, it just totally blew up. And that's where, when you start collecting, and, and see, and when people start talking about collecting, when it comes, when you talk to me about collecting, I have to, I, I stratify it. I was like, what level of collecting you want to do? I collect across the board, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of my major artists I got early on, mm-hmm. I can't afford their work now. <laughs> you see, I, I can't go buy a million dollar piece. <laughs> I could, yeah. but I'm not. Yeah. You know, I'm going to keep a million dollars. I don't want to stop you because I'm, I'm getting so much from But what do you think is the... The, what's prompting the surge in 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 the in the, in the, in the, the you know the prices range? I mean, I think of the Basquiat Basquiat piece, and, and do you think it's because we now have a global audience? Um, I, I'm just trying to wrap my arms around it, and and what drives and, and, and let's, what drives it? And dare I say, do you think that regulations are coming? You know, to no, manage what, you know the no, pricing and, and all. I, I no, mean, I may be off. The, I don't want to jump off. No, no I got you. I understand yeah. what you're. you're, you're yeah. I think I understand what you're asking. Yeah. But um, first of all, the artists. When well, I say these abstract artists, yes. I've always contend they were always the masters. Okay. They were always the masters because the abstraction. was the higher form of the arts mm. because the abstraction you had to relate to it intellectually to get to it mm. you know it is a is a is a is a direct connection to the intellect mm. where if i mean this is not you know whereas a representational or figurative whatever those you can apply something to it still could be a great painting i'm, mm-hmm. I'm not taking anything away from it like that but I'm saying abstraction had it, you know, when you start talking about Jasper Johns and the Queen, that had a whole nother head that it was operating from. Where the other ones, you could say, uh, I mean, the great artists, Romeo Beard and Jacob Lawrence, you can always relate to that. Oh, that Jacob Lawrence, I remember my aunts and that, you know, mm-hmm. I can remember going down yeah. south and, you know, you mm-hmm. had these experiences. That's right. It's okay, but yeah. abstraction was different, so I knew that. I always felt that that's going to be it. Wow. I, now, I did not think, I, no, I did not imagine yes. 
that it was what it was, because if it was, I wouldn't be all <laughs> you know, almost 40 pieces of $5 million or something, you know. That's it. I wouldn't have done that, because mm-hmm. my expectations was, you know, yes. and then all of a sudden everything. But one thing you got to remember, although we have a, like, particularly uh, with the artists that, what I'm talking about, my master artists were like, maybe 70 years old and yes. older. Yes. Those artists, um, they really have a solid foundation. Mm-hmm. Now, there could be some other, by, somebody else could be a fly in the night. You know, they, they one, yes. one trick pony kind of yes, thing. Yes. But these artists, had a, they, they put in a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And see, what happened, what we did, just a little tidbit on our history, is that the artists that we started with were, was the first generation of artists that began to migrate to New York as artists. Before, Beard and Jacob Lawrence, Benson Smith, Norman Lewis, those were all New Yorkers. Then all of a sudden, Al Loving, Ed Clark, Jack Whitten, Howard Dina, all these people came with MFAs. Yes. They're coming more from an academic yes. perspective, see? And not only that, they did they come, but they radicalized art. And they did not come to be a part of a group of African-American artists. Most of them didn't even know other African-American artists. You know, mm-hmm. like on a person, they grew yeah. to be best friends and loving sure, sure. friends and everything. But they didn't know that. But one, one crucial thing that they did, they, they put down the brush. They radicalized making art. They stopped painting paintings and they start making and assembling paintings. So wow. once you start thinking about that, what do they do? You know, Ed Clark, he's painting, but he's using a big, you know, four inch push broom yes. to, to move the paint around. So that's different. You know, Al Loving would tear up things, sew them back mm. together. You know, Harmadina, she would do the same, do the punch outs, then she did the. Then the postcards, you know, cutting out things, they all happen to do that kind of thing, that yes. flavor uh, in terms of their work. And yes. that is a period in art history mm-hmm. that still has not gotten its proper due mm. because it really changed it. But in changing, it, it, it was a group who added something to the literature. Yes. See, that's what I'm asked, that's what I'm saying. It's like, what are you adding to the literature yeah of art, you know, what, you know, art history, you know, it's not about just doing some things, but that's, that's how you kind of look at it on for the long term. That's right. Wow. I I, I, I can't get enough, you know, (laughs) we're we're getting our own lesson here. You know, I I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to Detroit. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot is going on in the, in the art community and there's a lot going on just economically in neighborhoods in uh, new communities new names of communities Mm -hmm. you know we this used to be cast quarter now Mm -hmm. it's midtown Mm -hmm. we have that renaming Mm -hmm. of areas you you said in uh in a publication that we have to keep the funk Mm -hmm. and so in light of regentrification and people coming converging on detroit and discovering something that was never lost mm-hmm. um, how do we how do we maintain that flavor that's always mm-hmm. been there 
Well, first, let me go and say something about gentrification. The traditional gentrification, um, what people think of as gentrification, like moving people out of communities, mm -hmm. we do not have a whole mass uh, that happening on a mass basis. Why? Because we have enough space for another million and a half people. Well, <laughs> you know, that's so, true. Right. so we're not <laughs> we're not moving people out. Yeah. My concern is not the gentrification, but when I talk about the funk, I I call it, I believe something is called psychological gentrification. Mm. And psychological gentrification is what we may need to protect against. Now, that's where saving your funk, preserving your funk, because everybody, when people come to Detroit, they come here, why? Oh, they always say, oh, the real estate is inexpensive. You know, blah, 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 blah. They come and they visit, and like, then they start loving it, and next thing you know, they're like Detroiters. They've been in five years, I'm deep down Detroiters. You know, they look yeah, like them, they yeah. smell like them, everything, <laughs> right? Okay, now, I said, I then I started analyzing, say, but, what there's I, I went to Island Town, Pennsylvania. I like inexpensive real estate, prime location. Allentown's like an hour from Philadelphia and an hour and fifteen from New York, give or take, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm like, who in the cost of living in those yes. cities yes. and you can have a big loft like Detroit for you know, and you could be an hour out of New York? You're like, Oh yeah. But why isn't that just taken over like that. Mm -hmm. I said, it's because of the funk. <laughs> you come here, but you stay because of the funk. And I what love De it. What Detroit has, that we have a way of empowering that even uh, the European American benefits from. Mm -hmm. Because what happens in Detroit is that we have a sense of empowerment that other communities do not have. You know, we have a sense of like, ownership with other communities. We do not, African Americans in Detroit do not operate as if they're minor, a minority community. That's exactly and right. that's very different. i just spoken with a, some friends of mine who moved to Philadelphia and they're like, ah, oh, we moved back. You know, I was like, mm -hmm. you got there and you had to start, you see they're putting you in that minority position. Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, I, I don't know, everybody's this and that, yeah. you know. But that's what it is, and we're not used to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, New York, they operate from a minority position. Mm -hmm. I mean, even Chicago is different. That's right. You know, I remember Chicago going there when I first got there. They're like, oh, man, oh, you got Judd so-and-so coming into your gallery. You'd be like, oh, no, 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 we're from Detroit. <laughs> we we so really <laughs> respect Judd highly. Yes. But we're not turning cartwheels because they're in our place. Yeah. You know, they're just, they have a great job and great duty and all the different things you know so what happens in detroit as african-americans you could do great things but you could be normal you don't have to put yourself on a pedestal right. whereas other cities you always like you, you're just Pushing full up. of it you yeah, know what i mean it's like no you yeah. know like i'm the only you still dealing i'm the only one i'm no, the first right. kind of mentality right. that's right so that's what it is so that funk is we have to you know, okay, give me, let me give you one more example oh, of that. Please. Is that I'm 
I'm also doing what, what you call creative placemaking. That's when you take a community and make it a new place. Ooh. Now, this project I have here, the Nambi Center, is a community placemaking project. I did not know that when I did it. Mm -hmm. And then they started having me speak on creative placemaking. And I started, I said, I better go study what they asked me to do. Mm -hmm. And they said, George, so it's came we said, George, you, you don't study placemaking. We study what you've done. You're, you've already done it. So we're studying you. You I'm don't saying. study that. And it was kind of confusing for me too. Because you know, to put, put what you have done in academic terms, you're like, ah, you know, but you know, so that's so now, but I have added another layer to that. I call it community place keeping. And that's what we did here. That's why it's the Sugar Hill Arts District, because this is the this was the arts district. They had the nightclubs and all these things that were around this area. This is where the single people would move when they moved to Detroit, the African-American single. Mm. Families moved to Black Bottom. They yeah. moved away. Uh, the Sugar Hill Arts District, we're not talking about the whole area, but we are talking about Sonny uh, Wilson's Club, yes. all those things. Like the building directly behind us had phone banks in there for the numbers, and you know, they had wow. a, there's a tunnel in the basement that I took you, it. you know, uh, the Carver Hotel. Remember the Carver Hotel? I don't know. Did you know the Sandrea and her sister? They were twins. They lived on Arden Park, but their family owned the Carver Hotel, which was one block. That was their only hotel, or not wow. one of the only hotels yeah. that you had in this area. So that's what we wanted to try to, you know, have. Uh, but in all transparency, we also need a historical designation for sure. economic tax credit purposes yeah. too. That's wise. But that's but it's good to have it. And it's good to be able so that's what now my charge is more like how can we keep our presence in these communities? Yes. You know what I mean? Creative so that place it, keeping. Creative place keeping. That's mm -hmm. you know, that that's that's the thing. So that's what we're doing on Grand River. Also we're doing a similar building on uh McNichols near Livinois. We're doing a a 30 unit uh, building over there with uh, about 10 to 12,000 worth of uh, commercial uh, retail spaces. You Good know, for so. us. Good for Detroit. But we knew, yeah, we have those things together. And one thing that I try to also emphasize with young people who want to do development, say, particularly creative development, is that you don't have to, you, you don't have enough money to follow Midtown or Downtown, okay? Yep. I mean, the people, if you want to play downtown, most people I'm talking to, you don't have the money to play downtown. Mm -hmm. You know, you need, uh, what's my man? Uh, Gilbert. No, no, no. The brother out of Denver. Gave the money to, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, there's Morehouse, uh, that guy. Yeah, mm -hmm. gosh, what well, Oh, I can't think of his but name. Anyway, yes, yes. you need, you need Dan Gilbert. Kind of, you need to be one of his peers now. That's exactly You right. know, you yeah. can't have a five or ten million dollar, uh, portfolio of your own and think you can participate in there. You just can't. So what to do is you go and find other areas to do it. And it can be done. Yeah, you've done you, it. You've yeah, done yeah, it. You, yes, it can be. It's, and it's not difficult. Because for me, that's the only way I can play. Is that I go in first and find something and hey, I see this. And I remember taking some people around 
um, just just so, showing them what my vision was. They like, George, how the hell do you see that? Then they start seeing it, but they didn't. They like, how did you come? How could you just look at that and see that? I said, look at that building. I'm just thinking this happens and this turns into a big outdoor, you know, this and that, that. Can you see that? It looks like one of those little French cafes and, you know, yeah, but I can see it, you yeah, know. But let's just all be honest. You have a gift and everyone doesn't have that. I mean, you can see a blank canvas and I mean, that's the artist in you. So, I mean, I, I, we give you all kind of, thank you for giving, giving everybody hope that the, anybody can do it, but... Anybody can't do it, so <laughs> you've been a master yeah. at it. So, um. well, it, well, I'm just saying it is doable. Yeah. And yes. the thing is, you may not be able to lead it, but you can jump on board early enough that you can participate. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying, and that's and that's how you keep maintaining the funk. That's how you keep maintaining your presence and your ownership in your city. Mm -hmm. You see, what I'm saying we have to. You have to do that. You know. Uh, because it just, it, I just think it's very important. I mean, for me, there's no other reason to be in the state of Michigan than to be in Detroit. That's right. I mean, no, there's no reason I would be in this state if it wasn't for Detroit. I mean, that's right. I, 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 mean, I think just, we all can say that as Detroit is, we. Yeah, you, I mean, you just went. I mean, like, like, I could go. I mean, you didn't have Detroit. I could just go almost anywhere. <laughs> I mean, really. That's right. You know, that's it's right. like, uh, but it's, but that's the whole purpose. I want to go back to a question. Yeah, I please think do. You were talking about the galleries in New York and Chicago. Yes. Now. Oh, yes. Okay. okay. So, the picture. We would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the NMD presence in Miami mm -hmm. that your son is managing, running, operating mm -hmm. because this is a family business. Yeah. And your children grew up, you know, watching yeah. you, observing your beautiful wife, uh, another entrepreneur, educator. So before Miami, there was Chicago and Chelsea, am I right? In New York? Yes, Chelsea. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm so not used to people knowing Chelsea. I'm like, no, yeah, but, no like it was, I'm getting ready to say, it was in... <laughs> Chelsea, <laughs> not, not so, like as if she said so, whole, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. Well, yes. Um, what happens was, you know, I've always, I really was not an art guy like the traditional art guy. I was not people who, like people who be art dealers now. They kind of be, they, they want to be arty. That's why they call themselves uh Galleries. Yes. I'm like, no, I'm a dealer. I need to deal. Okay, I need to deal. I need to deal. Come on. All right, you know. Yeah. But gallerist to me sounds like I'm like I'm a curator, a form of a curator. But anyway, uh, but I was always looking for the business model. Yes. Like how can how can I make a bigger pie? Mm -hmm. And what happened in the early years, now we're the oldest African American owned gallery in the country, you know. And now there's other people may have been doing business, but they've been doing it out of their home or private dealer consulting, all those things. I'm not saying, I'm talking about, since 1981, there's been a rent or mortgage payment done for business. I've had 
<laughs> utilities, all of a sudden staffing, all that thing since 1908. So it'll be oh. 40 years of that, right? And so always was that. So we, uh, we first opened one in Columbus, Ohio. That was where we had our first second gallery. That's where I'm from, Columbus, Ohio. So I'm like, George, I'm gonna go back to, give something back to my old city, right? But at the time I had great business in Columbus, in Ohio. And, but when I did that, it was fun. But at the same time, I looked up and what I was selling equaled my expenses but it wasn't, I did not factor in what it would cost me. That's my cost of goods. Yes. You know, it's like, say, if I needed $100,000, yes. I sold $100,000. But I don't, but I still owe the artist out of that $100,000. <laughs> but I wouldn't factor that in. <laughs> then I realized, I was like, oh, boy, because everything was coming out of Detroit. So it'd be paid from here, but you think it's mm-hmm. everything. But anyway, we, we did that for four years and realize you can't go back home again, <laughs> okay? And I remember it was uh, 96, we started in 92, we closed in 96, like spring of 96, and that September, because it was on my birthday, we had the grand opening for Chicago in 96. Mm. Yeah, we had the grand opening for Chicago then. And uh, and Chicago was a surprise. One thing that happened when I reason why I expand, I was I never relied upon Detroit like people would think. Like going to Ohio, I had 30 percent of my business was in, you know, Columbus, or Dayton, you know, like that, you know. Going to Chicago, I mean, remember I don't know Isabel Neal, yeah. she had a gallery there. Uh, and she was a very prominent person, very, I would say, socialite kind of prominent. Her husband was the lawyer for Chicago, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, But what happened with Isabel Neal, because she was a socialite, she couldn't sell expensive art. Mm-hmm. Now, why would that be? You were saying, like, she should be able to, sell art because she knew everybody but when they're your friends they're like I'm not going to add to your wealth we're already competing with each other they're not not saying that they're not articulating that but that what comes of that you know whereas with me Mm -hmm. you know me as a dealer you know that's what we do you see what I'm saying so I remember Isabel said, oh, George, I don't know. I can't sell anything over $5,000. And at, I remember I was in her gallery, and I, and I was delivering two pieces to a client in Chicago. One was for $25,000, and one was for $5,000. Wow. Same person, you know. Wow. So I'm like, oh, okay. So anyway, I decided to do Chicago because I had built some business up there, too. And in doing that, it was very fortunate because at first we were not negotiating with Isabel Neal to buy her out of her gallery. Okay. So, you know, I thought that would be a big deal, like a Nambi buys yes. Isabel uh, Neal's yeah. gallery. See, some things I think in a symbolic thing, yes. you know, that's more important than that's mm-hmm. an economic thing. But when you have a husband who's a lawyer, 
Yeah, they gonna value things differently, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, but anyway, yeah. we were we were great friends. <laughs> so what I did though, Isabel ultimately closed her gallery, and I ultimately opened mine, independent of each other. But I made she became my director emeritus. So oh, that's what I'm saying. We were very close. That's wise. You know, like that. You know, to this day, if we in Chicago at an event, we said, mm-hmm. Isabel Neal, our director emeritus, because yes. that keeps her into. The loop, you know what That's I mean? Right. You, once you've been in this business, you get a certain amount of attention. Then you go, then you don't get no more attention. So we would always no, be at the same thing. And so we always did that, you know. Uh, so that was what, how we did Chicago. Chicago was very different for us, uh, for me when I first started. I had my son with me then. Mm-hmm. But it was also. very different. The people in Chicago didn't buy art like they did in Detroit. Okay. You would think they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I realized Chicago had a, another layer of African Americans that we didn't have. Mm-hmm. Here we went to Dr. Lawyer, da, 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 where in Chicago you had Burrell Advertising, you had Johnson Publications, you had the hair companies, you had the people with multi, multi million dollar companies, yes. and they bought art differently than, say, your Dr. Lawyer, you know. I see. Group, you know, that we had here. Yes. Now, our group was fine here, Absolutely. don't get me wrong. Yeah. But what do I go for after going in Chicago? I go after what I know. I don't yes. know that other group. And they didn't buy nothing from me <laughs> for a long time. They, you know, I mean, I'm talking to Dr. Lord. They didn't yeah, buy sure. things like that, you know, because they were more, and I, I think it's very, it's very important for us to realize this because they've got more whole, locked into just under thinking that Chicago artists were the things to have. I see. Okay? And that's very important for us here. It's like, I buy a lot of Detroit artists. You can see out there, I do a lot. But you got to understand where everybody fits. Mm-hmm. You can't say I'm going to buy, you can't just buy art and think you have a portfolio. Exactly. Okay? That's right. You have to be very strategic about that. Yes. So, but then after we made that leap, you know, everything kind of just started being unfold for us. And then uh, we went to New York. Mm-hmm. Then we had Chicago and New York, Detroit. We went to New York. We would do the art fair uh, at the Puck Building. Yes. Every year, this art fair would get written up, and we were always the gallery to see in the art yes. fair. We would be on one of those Sunday morning shows that like, yeah. come on, come to the fair. You got to see Anamdi, Anamdi. Yeah. But um, so so then we decided to open a gallery in in New York. Now, by then, because I'm from Detroit, this is very important because we have no, we don't see limitations. Mm-hmm. So people are like, how are you going to do that? I'm like, you just ask. Mm-hmm. You got a space in there? How'd you get that space? I asked for it. Mm-hmm. You know, they, yes. they won't do those things, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very different. And New York, we could have kept that open. We closed New York mainly because it was doing what we were doing, the renovation of this project. Mm-hmm. I was going there every other month, every other week wow. in wow. New York. I mean, okay, and doing this. So when I'm not in New York, I'm here. And when I'm here, I'm working on contractors and this and that. Yes. Then I get to New York, I hadn't planned, hadn't called nobody to come in and nothing, you know? So it's like, I'm just sitting there now like, what the hell? 
you know, yeah, what yeah. am I doing? You, you right. see what I'm saying? I had no, mm-hmm. you know, so that's what happened with New York. But even at, at that, we felt that we were on the third floor in a very a nice building too, nice building. We were on the third floor, but we felt like we need to go ahead and bite the bullet and be on the first floor. Now, galleries were, I mean, one, um, we were on 26, I think. On 25th, six galleries closed oh. on that street at the same time. Oh. So we go in there like, maybe we should try to get one of these spaces because I know we will kill it if we were on that first floor. Because yes. we operate better if you just seen it. Yeah. Okay. And then if you get around and get us around people who know art, you remember that, that commercial, Educated Consumer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your best, that's what we are. Educated Consumer is our best client. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. why I, I take a while to sell to you and everything else because I know to educate you, that's, that's it. That's right. Okay, so. Okay. okay. So that's what we did with New York, and then we ended up closing New York because of that, because of the economy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we were toying with it, and I said, well, if GM can let Pontiac go, mm-hmm. we can let <laughs> New York go. That's right. You know, you know you're just dragging everything down, no, that's right? That's right. So we closed New York. We were keeping Chicago, but we got caught up in the mortgage crisis Mm -hmm. and we were buying our space but we were buying somebody who was buying the space you know we were like second in line so they reneged on their part which made it fall back on us and they like y'all need to give us a half a million dollars and and at that time that was not part of our imagination to come up with a half a million dollars. <laughs> That's right. Right? right. That's right. And so now we are moving. And then in the meantime, my son's like, I'm going to, I'm going to look at Miami. Okay. But we, now we're negotiating for a space. It's still in Chicago. He goes to Miami. He opens up a space. I remember going down there in October. That was the second Saturday. That's when, that thing was so overwhelmed. I said, son, we can't open Chicago back up. This is too intense in Miami. Wow. Wow. even think about trying to be bouncing back and forth to Chicago uh, and because Miami was just was a whole nother world sure and is. what happened sure was is. he the major clients he still he still goes back and forth to Chicago now but he can maintain them because they are connected to him That's as right. a dealer yeah. so they you know and then anybody else they refer him to him and they, they just go see them when he's in town so but now so we end up not opening that new space Yes. so now we just had and he has that one there. He totally runs that, mm. you know. And he's really just—he's leaps and bounds. I love him. Yeah. He, He's—I right. say, he's a zero ahead of me now. Oh no! <laughs> I, don't I don't believe that. <laughs> oh no, he's—he's he's major. Good. He really is. I mean, he's, well, so uh, it must be a genetic factor because that's right. He, to watch you involved like yeah. you know growing up yeah. with you as as not only yeah, a he, dad, he, but a business owner. Yeah, he's good, but I, he did, somebody was just telling program. me last night no no Sunday I was at a someone's house uh, at a little reception the guy he was there. He lives here, has a place there. He said we was at the Pam, you know the Pam? That's uh, okay, that Perez Art Museum. Yes. And he says, And your son, he raised so much money for them. I love this is what he did. They had a dinner. It cost five thousand for a couple to be at the dinner. So now they try to get people to donate. He gets up in the middle of it and says, "All right, I'm gonna do five. I'm gonna do another five thousand, which makes it ten thousand for this evening." Then he starts calling people out. He's like, "Say if you're one of his clients, 
Now, Leslie, you got more money than God, so come <laughs> on, you can do 20. They, they, you know, from that, they got a half a million dollars. That's fantastic. They wrote him a letter. They said nothing like that ever happened before. Oh, my but God. But he's very outgoing. You know, I he's not shy it. like me. But oh. he's outgoing. <laughs> <laughs> he was there. No, he's outgoing. He's got people in talk to him, that. and everybody just you know. And so, and Miami saying, just seems yeah. to be it fits for him. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, but so anyway, then then another this that's one of my kids. I got to leave him out. My youngest is Izebe, who yes. is kind of the heir apparent to take over this, okay. you know, uh, here, and she's been doing a great job. Yes. And then my oldest, she is in Durham, North Carolina, and she's an educational director for the Durham Historical Museum. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, you know, see, fantastic. so we all, you know, so it's all kind of coming the family. around. Yeah, the family. yeah. So, so your legacy will continue. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah. And listen, so, we, you've given us so, you've been so generous you. with your time. Um, before we go, I just want to give, if someone wants to, find out what's going on in the gallery here here in Miami mm -hmm. uh, want to chat with you about building a collection uh, where where they should start how can they get in touch with you what's the best way well, well one of the best ways is just come to the gallery 52 mm -hmm. East Forest and uh, or you can call 313-831-8700 that's the phone number to the gallery if you call you can get my email but I don't want to give that. I don't yeah, no, I, I understand. But if they you, look, you reach out remember. there, you yeah, can get find it easily. Out. Uh, so you you can do that. But uh, and we will be setting up some things in terms of collection, collecting art, and um, we have right now because we're art center. We do have these dance classes that's starting nice. back up: African dance, tap dance, tango, uh, hustle. Uh, a ballroom, both uh, beginning and in, in advance. Then we have a uh, children's pre-ballet. You know, so we have those kind of things there. And also, like I said, the the Seva vegan vegetarian restaurant, along with the uh, the Griot Music Lounge. We call that our Cheers of Detroit. Yeah, uh, the uh, Griot people and, and the restaurant's the delicious. Seva yeah. over there. And so we will be having a new exhibition coming in October uh, to be announced. Okay. You're wonderful. Uh, gosh, thank you so much. Leslie, is there anything you want to add before we... Um, I think George has covered it. I feel like I was in a graduate class that's at what I the felt. University of Michigan. Yeah, that's right. We were in a, uh, yeah, because we were leaning in. You can't see us, but every uh, hanging on every word he said. So thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your time. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for all that you're doing in Detroit and all the communities that you impact. And uh, we look forward to hearing more. Yeah. We would like to thank all our Open Studio sponsors and a special shout out to Stuart Skaggs and Kevin Crosby for the original music score they so generously provide for this podcast. And of course, to, to today's guest, George Nanamdi. If you'd like to learn more about the Nanamdi Center and reach George personally, please contact his studio in Detroit, Michigan. We also invite you to check out Open Studio each week when Graves and Mallet have the pleasure of hosting art creators and lovers just like you. Please visit our website at gravesmallet.art and learn more about our services, podcasts, and latest blogs. Until our next conversation, 
keep loving art.